world. So beautiful. So broken. Time after time, we've tried to piece it back together. Only to find ourselves right back where we started. Overwhelmed with the chaos. Man, born against man. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and it's great to see you here today. It's great to have you with us um, on this Easter weekend. There's a lot of churches you could be at in the area, and the fact that you have decided, maybe you lost a bet, that's okay with us, but decided that you were going to join us for Easter weekend, it's a delight to have you. I got to meet several of you in the foyer, some of you for your very first time, and I always love the response when I'm just shaking hands in the foyer and somebody and I and, and someone says, hey, it's my first time. I go, oh, it's great to have you. And they kind of look at me like, who are you? You're like an over-exuberant young man. And, and I'm the pastor. You're the pastor? And I don't, I don't take that personal. But it's, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm him. So it's good to see you. And, uh, and, and uh, this weekend, we're beginning a brand new series called Overwhelmed. And let me help you with this, especially if you're a first-time guest. We kind of do things in series, and so I'd love to have you back if this message resonates with you next weekend, the following weekends. Also, if this is your first time at Life Church, it's okay to laugh. Uh, some of you may not like to laugh. That's okay. We, we like you. Anyhow, I love to give you a big hug. But it's okay to laugh if something strikes you funny. And, um, and I, I, hope that, uh, I hope that today you will uh, get this true Easter message as we celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do things a little different today because the story of Easter begins way before the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It actually begins all the way back in the book of Genesis. And so I'm going to go and kind of give the backstory. I will eventually get to the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It won't be super long. Trust me, I'm hungry right now. Amen. So we do two things on Easter Sunday in, in Wisconsin. One, we're going to go to church somewhere. Two, we're going to have brunch. Can I get a witness in the house? Oh, that got your attention, didn't it? It's like, oh, yes, praise God. God. So anyhow, it's good. It, it's so, so, so we'll, we'll get there, okay? But before we get there, speaking of food, I like to talk about food a lot. Anybody like Tex-Mex? Oh, come on. Mm, 
Can I get a witness in the house? I love sour cream chicken and gelatas, one of my favorite things. I love uh, steak and chicken fajitas. I'm no respecter of, of animal on that. Uh, I love Spanish rice. I love everything about, I love white queso, mm-hmm. fried ice cream. One thing I love all the time is salsa. I don't know if you like salsa. I love salsa. You know, I just love everything about salsa. Salsa goes with everything, right? It doesn't matter. You can have salsa if you're having hamburgers. You can have salsa if you're not having anything else. You have salsa if you're watching a football game. You have salsa like for some finger foods. You have salsa with your Tex-Mex. I mean, you can go to Chili's and they'll give you a free thing of chips and salsa. That's why I love going to Chili's. I love salsa. And in my house, we keep salsa by like the huge jarfuls, all right? So we've got salsa in the pantry. We've got salsa literally two jars. I just saw it this morning in the refrigerator. We've got salsa in the basement and we buy this stuff and I love salsa. And have you ever had an experience where you're, you're trying to get to somewhere somewhat quickly? The game is on, DVR isn't working, so pause isn't an option. And so you're trying to get some things together and you're getting your Diet Coke, right? Because that cancels out all the rest of the calories. I'm a pro at this. I'm going to tell you how to navigate the calories, all right? So anyhow, so you, yeah, don't think you can get a body like this overnight. I'm just going to let you know. It's not cheap, and this doesn't just happen for everybody, okay? So I'm filtering right now. Give me a second. Okay, so anyhow, my mom's watching this online. So hi, mom. I got to be good. So so the reality is, is you're getting all that stuff together, you're getting your chips, you get your salsa, and, and you're going to grab the salsa, and in a moment of just being quick, you lose grip on the salsa. It doesn't matter whether it happens in the pantry or in the kitchen, all of a sudden that jar hits the hard surface of that kitchen floor, or the pantry floor, and it explodes. I mean, you've got bell peppers and onions and tomato and sauce everywhere. I mean, it's, it's on the ceiling, it's on the walls, it's on you. And in that moment, you had this thought, now's the time to pick up the phone and call Kevin Nash and list your house. It's just the time to sell your house. Because how are you going to clean up the mess? And if you've ever had a jar of salsa explode, I have, on you, I mean, three months later, you'll be in the family room going, how did that tomato get on the ceiling? I, I know. It's me. I mean, it's just one of those things. It just goes everywhere. And if it happens in the pantry, you just kind of want to shut the door because it's just a mess. And where do you start to clean up the mess? How, how do you clean up a colossal mess like that? You just have to pick a place and start. I think that's kind of how God must have felt when he, the Bible says, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triune Godhead, before this earth was ever spoken into existence by God the Father. The Bible says that the Spirit and the presence of God and the person of God, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, hovered over the face of the deep, over this voidless, formless space. And God said, let there be light, and light shot through the darkness. God separated the heavens from the earth. God created the earth, and he spoke it into existence. And he put the stars in the sky, and he put the vegetation in the land, and the mountains and the terrain, and all the beautiful, rich, black Wisconsin soil that we have here. Amen. That we get that sweet corn in the summer. Can I get a witness in the house? God spoke all of this into existence, puts it all together. The Bible says that he placed the fowl of the air and the the birds of the the sea and the beast that would roam along the the, the animal, uh, along along the, the, the face of the earth. And the Bible says that God said this was good. And his crowning achievement was that he, from the dust of the earth that he had created, 
with his own hands formed man and breathed his breath of life into man. And he created man in his image. Everything else to this point, the Bible says, is the handiwork of God. It's his craftsmanship. But man, his crowning achievement, was made in his image and in his likeness. And the Bible says that he placed Adam and Eve, this crowning achievement, this creation of his, he placed them in this utopia called the Garden of Eden. And the Bible records in the book of Genesis that God says, you can do anything you want to do, Adam and Eve. You're completely free. You're, 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 you're faultless. You're, you're perfect. And the only thing you cannot do is eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what do you do when you're told you can't do something? You go do it. I mean, like if you are walking through an airport or through a mall and, and they're doing some kind of a service work and all of a sudden there's a sign that says wet paint, what do you do? You touch it to see if it's wet. I know, I see some of you do that. And, it's, and so, I mean, you, it's just something about human nature that when we're told not to do something, we go and do it. And so Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered the earth, and so ensued this this depravity, this falling apart, this problem. And the Bible says that God, well, let's read it here. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, explains God's emotion over the state of humanity. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human race was only evil all the time. That's a great statement. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled, overwhelmed. Regretted that he made man. That's how big the mess was. His crowning achievement. Oh, that's just overdramatic. Maybe, but God decided that he was going to purge the earth and kind of hit a restart. So he takes Noah and his three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and their families a little different than Russell Crowe and Hollywood's theology. I'm not bashing on the movie, but they didn't quite get it biblically correct. And God takes Noah and two specimens of every species on the face of the planet, puts them into the ark, and he sends a flood. Up to this point in time, water had never fallen from the sky. It had only come up from springs in the ground, and it had only come up like through the condensation like dew in the morning. God sends rain this time. And he floods the earth to purge it. And he preserved Noah because the Bible says that Noah was righteous. But Noah is just like you and I. He was flawed. He had this depraved humanity. And even with this fresh start, sin is a virus. And that virus that's infected all of us was there. And the mess grew and continued. Generations after Moses, excuse me, after Noah... The Bible says that there was depravity over the face of the earth, that there was no group of people that really worshiped God and really honored God. And, and honestly, God had no people, and there was no one that was there that was righteous in that manner. And, and God makes a decision in that moment, generations after he had flooded the earth in order to, to restart, that affect you and I today. It's a decision called grace. Grace. Grace through relationship. God decided that we may not deserve it, but that he was going to give it. That maybe we deserve death because of our choices, but that he was going to give us life. Where would God begin with this grace, this gift of grace? Through Abram. Abram was a sinner just like you and I. Abram was an was a idol-worshiping sinner, a pagan. 
He was in his 70s. He was married to Sarai. Sarai was barren. And God decides in his infinite wisdom that he will start with this sinner named Abram. And the Bible records it in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. God comes to Abram and says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God simply asked Abram to follow him. So Abram left his homeland with his servants, with his wife, with a complete entourage of his livestock and all that he owned, and nomadically left his homeland in order, the book of Hebrews says, that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. God promised him that he would bless him, and so he was looking for a home and for heirs. Ten years later, after following God, The Bible records that Abram was a very powerful man, was a very wealthy man, that God had indeed blessed him, but still no home, no heir. And Abram in frustration begins to to talk to God about this. And the book of Genesis records it in Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, or Abram, for I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And then Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky. And count the stars. And if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. At that moment, God established a precedent. And a precedent that we live with till today. And that is, is that right standing with God comes through faith. That righteousness doesn't come through being perfect. Righteousness doesn't come from being at the right place at the right time. Righteousness doesn't come from having perfect attendance at church. Righteousness doesn't come through religion. Righteousness comes through faith. Time passes and still no children. So Abram and Sarai take things into their own hands and takes the matter into their own hands. And Genesis chapter 16 says that now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. So she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. She said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go and sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, before you think this is weird, and it kind of is, but before you think that, there's, first of all, this was very a common practice for a, a wife who would be barren in that day and time because it would propagate the species as well as it would also allow for there to be heirs and for someone to be able to give um, all their earthly possessions to. And basically allow Abram and his family to continue. If you read the rest of the story, this doesn't work out. Hagar and Abraham do have a child named Ishmael, but there become problems. By the time the, the child is, is 10, 11, 12 years of age, there, there are issues that are, that are coming up. And so Abram basically has to banish and put away Hagar and Ishmael. And God speaks very straight to Abraham that the promise wouldn't come through, uh, through Hagar, but the promise would come through Sarai. 20 years after God first speaks to Abram, 20 years after God establishes himself through relationship with Abram, God gives Sarah a son. His name is Isaac. 
And in that moment, God gives Abram a new name, and he calls him Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He gives Sarah a new name, which is Sarah, which means princess. And many of you know the rest of the story. Isaac grows up to be a man, and Abraham does. The family expands, and years after Abraham's death, his offspring become a great nation, the nation of Israel as we know it today. And God's promise is fulfilled. What does this have to do with what we're talking about today? God cleans up the mess through relationship. That's what I want you to see. All the way back in Genesis, he decides to clean up the mess through relationship. He picks a spot, Abram. Even though he wasn't righteous, Abram extended faith which, in God, which began that relationship with God, which is where righteousness comes from. And God chooses to clean up the mess through relationship, not through religion, not through rules and regulations, but through relationship. Now, I understand some of you, I can see you in the room, and, and you're deep theologians, and so let me go there with you theologically for a minute as we exegete Scripture. And you'd say, but what about the law, the Ten Commandments? What about what God gave, the law, to the nation of Israel? That's a great point. The problem is, is that the law occurred and was given by God through Moses generations after Abram. God doesn't establish the law. He establishes it through relationship. Yeah, but, but, but the law, wasn't that what, what we were supposed to live up to? I mean, the Ten Commandments are good. Well, yeah, I would say that because Jesus said of himself that he didn't come to do away with the law, the Ten Commandments, but he came to fulfill them. So why were the law given? Well, you've got to understand that when the nation of Israel, under the leadership of Moses, became a people, they had lived under slavery for hundreds of years. They didn't know how to govern themselves. They didn't know how to lead themselves. All they knew how to was follow dictatorial leadership through a pharaoh. And one pharaoh could rise up and do what he wanted to do, and another pharaoh could do something completely opposite. And so they were typically just people that were followers. And so God institutes the law so that they knew how to govern themselves and to lead themselves. God also wanted them to be a people that wouldn't have a king or a ruler or a dictator, a man, but that God himself would be their God. Commandment number one, I'm the Lord your God and I'll have no other gods before me. So that when the other nations would look upon Israel and their blessings, they would go, how are these people leading themselves? How are these people so prosperous? How are they so blessed? And it would give all the glory not to a man but to God. See, God decided to clean up the mess of humanity through relationship. God asked an undeserving man, Abraham, to trust him. And when that man did, God gave Abram what he needed most and what he deserved the least. Grace. Friendship with God. Undeserved, unearned favor. Hundreds of years later, Paul, the apostle, in the New Testament, would debate this subject about how you get right standing with God. Just so you don't think I'm theologically in error on what I'm saying today. His letter to the church in Rome records Paul's response in Romans chapter 4. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but, the, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Who's that? So glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Not only to the ones who are under the law, that'd be the nation of Israel, the Jew, the ethnic, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. That would be us. 
those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son. He, Abraham, is a father of us all. So how do you clean up a giant mess? How do you clean up salsa that's exploded in the pantry floor? You pick a spot and you begin. And God began with an ordinary man. And he offered that ordinary man what he needed the most. Peace with God. Grace. Through faith in God. And through Abraham's faith, he was reconciled to God, the Bible says. And that mess could not be cleaned up by man, but only by God. And that's where the story of Abraham intersects our life today. Today, you may feel completely overwhelmed with life. Today, your mess may feel way too big and complicated. Where do you begin? How do you deal with it? How do you reconcile it? You just want to shut the door on your life, like the pantry door where the salsa has exploded. How do I deal with it? Where do I begin? What's going to be the loss? How much is this going to cost me? How much time? How much do I have to? And I want you to hear something. No matter how overwhelmed you feel today, no matter how big the mess, God will step in and clean it up if you will let him.
name's Veronica. Um, I was lost. My name is Kevin. My name is Amanda. I was married to a man who had succumbed to addiction. I was in a marriage that had become loveless. I was in a godless marriage and I needed help. I suffer from depression to the point that um, by the time I was seven years old, I had already decided that I had had enough of life and I turned to drugs and alcohol to try and end it. I was overwhelmed with the pain and the suffering of uh, when I was a teenager and um, I just couldn't handle it anymore. I was previously, before being saved, overwhelmed with pain, overwhelmed with despair, overwhelmed with hurt and bitterness and anger. I came from a broken family that, you know, it wasn't even really broken, it just wasn't a family. And um, I felt like I didn't even belong in it, so I was using drugs and alcohol as a way to try and end my life. And I did this for about 32 years. I always found myself crying and didn't know how to move on, just overwhelmed with, with it all. I absolutely hated life. I hated people for the way that um, they just continuously treated me around every corner. And most of all, I hated God for giving me this meaningless life. I was broken, I was battered, I was beaten, um, and I needed saving. I came to Life Church on a whim, and the atmosphere was so welcoming. I came in and I sat in the auditorium alone and listened to Pastor Aaron speak. And I did that week after week after week. And um, every time he spoke, I felt like he was speaking directly to me. I felt that God spoke to me. It was so overwhelming with his peace and having him in my heart and it just, I grew. I grew into his daughter. About June, I got baptized and right about that time around there, I started feeling some spiritual changes inside me. Um, many tears shed many prayers said, 
and um, I realized I wasn't alone. I just had to give it up. I had to give it up to God. And it was so gradual and subtle that I didn't notice it at first until one morning I woke up and I was like, wait a minute, where's my depression? I haven't had a sad thought in like two, three months. Since being saved and opening my heart to Jesus, I'm overwhelmed with hope. Today I feel like I can walk and be happy. I'm overwhelmed with the idea of a future. He completely took away my depression, filled me with his joy, overwhelmed me with a sense of peace. I'm overwhelmed with the belief in life and love. Wherever I go, God is with me. God is in here. says that 2,000 years after Abraham, the world was better, but still a mess. So God steps into the mess again, and this time, he sends his only son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus came to this earth to save humanity, that he clothed himself in humanity, that he made of himself no reputation, that he walked this earth as a man, just as you and I are, yet without sin. I love what John's gospel records in chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that you and me, that he gave his only son, Jesus. That whoever would believe in Jesus would not die, but would have everlasting life. Again, God saves us through relationship. God cleans up our mess through relationship, through Jesus Christ. And our right standing with God doesn't come from church attendance or religion or something made by man, but it comes through faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. My favorite verse, though, isn't 16. It's verse 17 of John's gospel, chapter 3. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Contrary to public opinion, Jesus isn't a cosmic killjoy that's just out to rain on your parade. The Bible says actually that he's come to give you life and life to the fullest. That you and I don't need condemnation. Why? Because our sins condemn us. 
It's the enemy of our own soul, Satan himself, our sins, our flawed humanity. That's what condemns us. You don't need condemnation today. You need grace. It's only found through relationship, through Jesus. That he sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus, the world might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sins. Saved from our mess. Saved from the proverbial salsa that explodes in the pantry of our life. Jesus came, walked the earth, died on the cross for our sins. But the story doesn't end there. He defeats death, hell, and the grave. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? It's gone. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He resurrected unto life. And that's what we celebrate Easter. But listen, if that's all you do is celebrate the fact, yay, Jesus rose from the grave, but you don't extend your faith that God gives you to believe in God through Jesus Christ, the Son. Is it, is it true that Jesus rose from the grave? Yes. Is, is it life-changing? Yes. But will it change your life only if you believe and you give your life to Christ? See, for me to ascribe to truth doesn't take away the value of truth or add to the value of truth. Truth is truth, whether I believe it or if I don't. The laws of physics are in motion, whether I believe that they are or not. One plus one equals two, whether I subscribe to it or not. But the truth of the matter is, no pun intended, that truth will only change you if you accept it. God is here today to step into your overwhelmed mess of a life and to clean it up. And he does it through relationship. The fact that you say, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, the Bible says that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, we believe and we confess the truth of God's word, that we are saved. Paul goes on to say that we're saved not of ourselves. None of us are righteous, no, not one. And can I just help you with this? As a pastor, I don't have any better corner market on it than you do. The the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God comes to man and initiates relationship through his son Jesus. That if we will believe in him, we won't die, but we'll have everlasting life. And guess what? It's just not for the sweet by and by and the eternal hereafter, but it's for the here and now. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity not to respond to me. I'm just a man. Look, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. I told you I'd always bring it back to food, right? But to give you an opportunity to respond. God himself will not force himself upon you. He's a gentleman. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if you will come to the door and you will open the door and you will invite him to come in, he will come in. And you simply do that by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. Confessing of your sins and accepting Christ as your Savior. I'm a sinner 
in need of a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are that Savior. The church can't save you. Religion can't save you. Holy communion, although it's sacred and it's how we remember Christ until he comes, doesn't save you. It's my faith that I've been saved. That not of myself, it's his gift. And today, if you want to receive that gift of salvation, I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna ask everybody in this room to bow your head and close your eyes. Everyone in this room, just out of respect for this moment. I'm not gonna ask you to lift your hands. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, but I'm simply gonna invite you to pray a prayer with me. And I'm gonna ask those of you who have prayed this prayer before to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. And if you are here today and you pray this prayer and you believe what you're about to pray, you will be saved. You will be reconciled to God. The grace of Jesus will flood your heart and flood your life. If you want that today, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life. I invite you in. I ask you to clean up the mess of my life. I am a sinner and you are my savior. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and wash away all my unrighteousness. I put my faith and my trust in you. I believe that you, Jesus, are the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again from the grave, just like the Bible says. I declare you as my Lord today, and I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Father, I pray right now in this moment. God, I just pray that you would let the peace that passes all understanding just flood hearts. God, I pray you let the joy that your word says that accompanies this salvation experience, this joy unspeakable, just flood hearts right now. I pray, Lord, as you just miraculously clean up the overwhelming mess, as you flood our hearts right now, Jesus, I just pray, make yourself so real to us in this moment. I thank you, God, for loving us enough to send in your son. I thank you, Jesus, to, for the, the fact that you love us enough that you came to this earth, that you lived a sinless life, that you are the perfect example, that you were the perfect sacrifice, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And I celebrate that on this Easter Sunday with all of those who declare you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. God, I give you praise, and I thank you for this today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As the house lights are coming up, can we give the Lord a hand clap for those that made decisions to follow Christ today?